Welcome to Money Tips by Charles Kelly, author of Yes, Money Can Buy You Happiness. Charles spent over 25 years in financial services, working for banks, insurance companies, and as a qualified independent financial advisor running his practice before setting up his speaking, consultancy, and property business. Money Tips will help you save, make, and accumulate more money, whether you are a business owner, entrepreneur, employee, or still searching for your vocation. Hello and welcome again to Charles Kelly Money Tips. Today I want to give you five traits that I've observed between the rich and the poor. Five things that the rich have and the rich do that the poor don't do. Now I spent years researching my book, Yes, Money Can Buy You Happiness. And you know it, this. And the reason I, I spent so long researching this book is that I wanted to find out why some people are successful and other people are not successful. Some people are rich, some people are poor. Now, what I discovered is that having wealth doesn't have a lot to do with how hard people work because millions of people work hard and yet they're still poor. They put in long hours at work. They, um, you know, sometimes do backbreaking work all their lives, but yet have nothing to show for it. And I also find that it's not just about academic qualifications, is it? You can't just say, you know, that academically, just because you, uh, you know, have a degree or a doctorate or anything like that, 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 that is enough to make you rich and make you successful. So what is it then? Well, before I tell you, I'll, I'll tell you some of the things I, I also think it's not. Now, um, education obviously helps uh, because education and, and the more education you have, the, the, the higher degree level you have. If you get a degree and a master's, each of that levels will take you to a higher lifetime earnings potential. But it won't necessarily make you wealthy. It could make you somebody that earns a bit more money, but you'll always be just working. So having a university degree, I, I would say, is not just the, the key. You can't just say that just having a degree is, is the key to being wealthy and successful. Where you live can make a difference, right? Um, yes, people who live in the, the UK, Europe, the US, Australia, obviously have a massive advantage over millions of people born in developing countries. Although sometimes they don't appreciate the advantage they have and they waste the opportunities right in front of their noses. And, and migrants come in and see those opportunities and grab those opportunities by the horns and, and just run with them and end up more successful than the people born in the wealthy countries. And yet, even in poor countries I go to, you know, I've been to many poor countries. I've, I've, I've been to countries where I've seen wealthy and poor. You know, I've been to Cambodia, I've been to Vietnam, I've been to the Philippines, and there are rich people there and there are poor people there. Now, it's not just about, oh, they're rich because of their family. You know, there are reasons why there are successful people and unsuccessful people. So I've seen both in those countries and I've seen their habits and their traits. Now, if you go to any town in the UK, Europe and America, you'll find the poor part of town and then you'll find the, the wealthier part of town. You know, the other side of the tracks, as they used to say. And that that's true in anywhere. And you'll find the the the, the where the poor people live down the road and you'll find the, the big houses on, on the hill. And, you know, it, it, isn't that true, right? You, you see that in any town. You see people who are doing well and people who are not doing so well, sometimes in the same business. You know, when I was uh, an IFA in, in the insurance business, 
during recessions, you'd always have people say, oh, is a recession on? I'm not making any money. Uh, nobody can make money in this, this recession. And yet you'd see other people in the same business, in the same area, with the same potential clients, still doing well throughout recessions or upturns and downturns and whatever. So they were still struggling. Okay, is it down to luck, you might say? Luck or good fortune, I think, can play a part. You know, we all have lucky deals. We have lucky breaks. Sometimes when opportunities just seem to fall in our lap. But unfortunately, we don't always take advantage of those opportunities when they fall in our laps. But definitely sometimes meeting the right person at the right time, um, you know, can can make a huge difference in our life if we if we develop that and take advantage of it. Can we make our own luck? Well, the great golfer, Gary Player, many of you might be too young to remember him, but he was one of the top golfers in his time. Now, once when he was playing a match, a spectator, he, he hit this shot and it went in and the spectator shouted out, Gary, that was a lucky shot. And Gary turned around and replied, do you know, the more I practice, the luckier I get. Now, th that's true, isn't it? And sometimes you can make your own luck because they say luck is, is what happens when opportunity and good fortune meets preparation. Sometimes you're just ready for it. You might say, well, I, I just met that person, but you had to be out there to just meet that person. You had to be maybe at a networking event or you're out there giving out your cards and you're talking to people and then luck will, will, will occur. Actually, the guy who wrote the book called The Luck Factor, Dr. Richard Wiseman, is a lecturer at a university not far from here. And he wrote a book about luck. And one of the things he said, and this is the one thing I remembered, is that people who are perceived to be lucky are generally those people that um, could be the type of person you, you could easily strike up a conversation with. They might be in a queue at a supermarket. They might be on a train. They might be on a plane. They might just be at a meeting. And they're the type of person that would smile and say hello and, and, and easily strike up a conversation and they develop relationships. And those people are generally luckier. This is down to research. This is not anecdotal information. So, okay, but luck is not the only thing, right? Um, you know, I, I don't think it's luck, hard work, education, um, where you were born. You know, many successful people I know never went to university. Um, they were even thought of as stupid or thick at school. Like Richard Branson and Jamie Oliver were not considered intelligent at school. It was later, they were later diagnosed as dyslexic. Winston Churchill was not considered very bright at school. He was considered a bit slow. Billionaires such as Bill Gates, Steve Jobs dropped out of college Perhaps they, they knew more than the lecturers. They, they didn't finish their college degrees. I think Mark Zuckerberg may have done the same thing. I'm not sure. So some people might also blame um, external factors like the economy or the government, right? So it was the government's fault that I'm not successful. It's the government policy. So that, but then I, I, I don't necessarily buy that because the governments of a country like Britain, America and Europe actually make it relatively easy to start a business. They, they create tax breaks for businesses. They create the right environment for businesses. Now, I realize in some countries where, you know, you might be in, in war-torn areas. Yeah, you could maybe blame the government in that case. But for most of us in, in the first world economies, you know, the government usually make it easy to start a business. They have a good tax regime. They give tax breaks to people who set up businesses. And in fact, in Britain, which is still one of the world's leading economies, it's one of the easiest places to set up a limited company or a corporation. You can even do it from abroad by going online to, to, to companies' house. Now, the economy, of course, will always fluctuate. There'll always be good times and bad times. There'll be boom and bust cycles. 
Um, and some people, as I said, will still do well, whatever the, the economy. They ignore the, the, the external economy and look after their internal economy or what I call their, their economy. What, what they're doing is more important than what's going on with Brexit and trade wars with Trump and China and you know South America and Africa and all these things are going on and wars. They still get on with their, their, their daily jobs and their daily businesses and still do well, whatever the economy. So it's more important as what's going on in your head than what's going on out there in the economy. That's what I've found over the years. That's been my experience. If you get too hung up on the news and the economy, you know, I mean, you just pick up the papers um, every day. There's you know, bank scammers. They're taking your money. Um, there's always bad news, isn't there? There's always something, um, you know, about tax cuts will, will cost this and that. Uh, Corbyn's going to sell off everybody's houses and their schools. And, all, you know, there's always something. And if you're worried about those things, you can't really get on with your, your own job. So it's not the economy. Um, you know, and in a country like the UK, you know, there are thousands of free courses, inexpensive courses, training programs, um, programs to get people back to universities, evening university courses where you can do everything in the evenings if you're working. And there are thousands of free apprenticeship courses, NVQ courses. I used to run an NVQ college. So I know this. and I know that there were so many free courses available and you had to tell you had almost had to sell it to people even though it was free they didn't value it they thought there must be something wrong with it but you know to get people out of bed and to come to a free course was actually quite difficult they had to encourage people they had to pay their bus fares and that sort of just to get them to go and train so that they could make a better life for themselves in the future it's it's amazing how people in this country don't take advantage of what's here and what's available for them, sometimes for free, sometimes at very little cost. Um, you know, I, I'm going to offer you something for free later on if you're in the UK, which could really make a big difference to you. But no doubt you'll say, well, it's free. It can't be worth anything. But let's see. You know, there are, there are many things you can do in this country. And to say there's no opportunity. I've got no opportunity. I've got well, the, the economy, the government. I've got no opportunity. It's all nonsense. There are people here today that are out there making money and making fortunes and building fortunes. There are people who will arrive here on a raft and a boat. And, you know, in five, ten years times, they'll be more wealthy than some of the people who are born here and have every advantage here. And that's what I found. And, and that's what I found when I used to help nurses and, and care workers come into the UK. They quickly got on their feet and within a few years they were successful and they took advantage of every course going, every seminar. They just lapped it up and soaked it up like a sponge and, and worked hard and did well. That's my experience. And I wrote a book in those days called How to Come to the UK to Live, Work, Study or Visit. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to the way migrants work. My own family were migrants and I've seen how that, that's worked uh, and, and how hard they work. And it's not just about hard working, but they just see this as a land of opportunity. They look around and say, wow, this is, there's so much here. There's so much here. There's so much money here. There's so much I can do here. They see the opportunities that sometimes the people born here don't see. You know, their eyes are blinked. You know, they're just wrapped up in the news and everything. And, and, you know, there's an old story that the reason some of the migrants do well is that for the first couple of years, they don't read the papers. They can't even read properly. They don't read the papers. And, you know, they do well because they're ignoring all the bad news going on around them, whereas the rest of us are reading the paper on the train, getting more and more miserable. By the time you get to work, you know, you want to sort of shoot yourself. Anyway, the, now, what I found here, OK, I've told you what some of the things that, that, that are not the things that make people successful and rich. Um, but 
there are a number of traits I found in successful people. This is through my reading, through my observation, through people I know. And, you know, and by success, I don't just mean money, but in this case, I'm, I'm using money as a measure, how wealthy you are. Um, but obviously, I recognize that people are successful in many endeavors that do not involve money. They're running charities. They're doing good works. I mean, I'm involved in Rotary. I would regard that as a success, but I, I, I don't make any money out of that. So, but in this case, I'm talking about money because everyone needs money in their pocket. Everyone wants money. Everyone wants to be secure and wealthy. Most people want to be rich to a certain extent and, and at least have economic security and, and a good life for them and their family. And they want to leave a legacy. So let's talk about money. Here are the five common traits that separate the rich from the poor. And by poor, I mean the average person in a first world country like the UK or America that although they're not poor in the sense of people starving in, in say, a war-torn country in Africa, they are still in a country, in a rich country, but they're living from paycheck to paycheck. They're living in first world poverty, if you like. They're not starving. They have essentials. They might be on benefits. They have a roof over their heads, but they're struggling to keep their heads above water, as, as the saying goes. Okay, now number one thing is is mindset and when you have mindset oh that mindset again but one of the main traits of the traits of the wealthy is 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 mindset it's how they think about money their attitude towards money and people with money how they think about the value and value themselves you know this is what i wrote about here money can buy you happiness because a lot of people say oh money can't buy you happiness they hate money they hate people with money they despise people with money so how can they attract money how can they attract people with money to help them when they look upon the rich as crooks and evil and you know uh, robbers and you know criminals and that sort of thing so how can you do that if you if, and that's what i wrote about this thing in, in in money can can buy you happiness because if you think like that already then you're automatically repelling money and people with money so the rich do think differently from the poor and and there's no doubt about it now we're all the same in many ways but when it comes to money and success they do think differently and, and i'll give you and i'll give you some examples but by changing your thoughts you can change your life many speakers have said it jim Rohn, brian tracy zig ziglar and and even in in bible terms you know you you can look at you know what you think is what you get um ask and you shall receive and you, your thoughts and our things, you know, in, in, it says that in the Bible by by saying to this mountain move, you can make that mountain move. You know, so thoughts are powerful things. And by changing your thoughts, you can change your life. This has been proved over and over again over hundreds of years. Remember Napoleon Hill, the author of Think and Grow Rich, Oprah Winfrey. She changed her thinking after she was raped by a relative when she was 14. <clears throat> she had a second chance. I, th I think the story goes that she had a miscarriage and then uh, 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 parents said to her, look, you've now got another chance in life, so make the best of it. And then she started thinking, yeah, I can get out of this ghetto, this poverty that she lived in in the south of America. And, and that's what she did. She started reading. She started searching for knowledge. She found it and she, she made up her mind to get out of that situation. And look at her now. She's one of the most successful female entrepreneurs of all time. Now, the rich, <clears throat> and number two is that the rich make their money work for them. Now, the poor work hard for their money, but the rich make their money work hard for them. Now, hard work alone can't make you rich. It will never make you rich just working hard alone, especially if you spend every penny that you earn and you never put anything aside for the future. But the rich put their money to work for them. And, and 
that their money has to be to be working and they're thinking about this all the time they're thinking about how can i um, make more money on my money they're looking for opportunities they're looking for investments they may be investing in properties they're, they're looking for the best accounts to invest into they're educating themselves about money and this is one of the things I talk about in my book educating yourself about money rather than just relying on someone else to, to manage your money for them but the, the rich definitely make their work their money work for them and that's a fact even with the that the middle classes were not necessarily rich but that they're always looking out for money. And when I was a financial advisor, I found this. If you, if you went to someone who was broke, they they didn't know where their money was going. You said to them, right, now, what do you spend on your rent or your mortgage? Said, well, I'm not sure. How much money is, is, is spent on this? And how much money is spent on that? They wouldn't have a clue. And they were always overdrawn. They were mismanaging their money. But the wealthy people and the people who, who had money always knew exactly where their money was going, what they were spending on their mortgage. They, they knew when that mortgage deal expired and when they could get a maybe go back and negotiate a better deal. They, they, they just had a handle on things. It didn't take a lot of time. Some would have spreadsheets. And, and this is also what I talk about in the book. It's the three hours of money management I talk about in the book. I'm not here to just to sell you the book. You don't have to buy the book. But I'm just telling you, you know, what the difference is between the way the rich people and poor people think about money. So, you know, if you're always just going to earn money and spend it, <clears throat> what are you going to have left at the end of your life? Nothing. The average salary in the UK is about 27,000, right? Let's say 30,000 pounds a year. Now, if you earn 30,000 pounds a year, what is that? Over 10 years, 300,000. Over, you know, 40 years, just over a million, 1.2 million. You know, and if you spent all of that, what is there left? And most people will need a fund of about a million pounds to retire on comfortably in, in their pension funds. They're going to need something like that. So what are you, what are you going to do with your life? If, you, if you're just earning the money and spending every penny and, and you're not even able to put in 10% aside, what are you going to have left? You know, and, and over the years, prices will go up as well. So you, you've got to think about this. And, and the rich don't do this. The rich will always be looking to make their money work for them. And, they, and the old saying of paying themselves first, they don't just let all the money go out to pay everybody else. They pay themselves first and put something aside, even if it's just five or 10%. So start making that habit of at least saving. Now, leverage. Number three is leverage. The poor generally trade their time for money. The rich use leverage. Now, if you're not using leverage in your time, you're probably somebody else's leverage. Now, what I say about leverage, what is a lever? A lever is something that, you know, it's discovered by an ancient Greek Archimedes that if you, you're trying to move a rock and you get a long stick and you, you, you can lever that rock up and the longer the stick, the less effort it takes to, to, to lever that rock up. OK, and that, that's a mathematical fact that he discovered. So leverage is a way of leveraging your time. So it's not all about just your time. It's not just about trading your 40 hours a week for time for money because there's only so many hours in the week there's only so much of that you can do it's the same if you're a self-employed person like a gardener or a plumber and it's just you a one-man band you're still trading your time for money and you know one day you might not be able to do that you might have an injury you might be sick and then then what and and there's only as i said there's only so many hours you can do in a week anyway so you're always going to be trading your time for money whereas the, the rich will use other people's time they will use leverage 
And, you know, they'll, they'll use the leverage of other people's time. They'll use the leverage of their money. They'll use the leverage of their investment skills. They'll use the leverage of being able to borrow money to buy assets. Now, when I was young, I was told to get a good education, get a good job, buy a house, save for a pension. Later, I found out that the, the letters J-O-B actually stand for just over broke because that's the way it usually is. No matter how hard I worked, how much money I earned, how much I tried to save, I could never quite get ahead. Yeah, you could get ahead a certain amount in, in a certain way. I managed to save up for my first property, but it was always difficult to get ahead where you could sort of say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm covered now. I, I am financially free. It was only when I started to use the track tactics and strategies practiced by the rich that I, I, I found that this changed my life. And these tactics have been used for centuries. These are tactics of using leverage and using borrowers, borrowers and borrowed money and using other people's money to acquire assets. Now, that brings me on to number four, is that the rich shop for assets, the poor shop for stuff. The poor spend their time shopping and looking around for consumer goods, such as clothes, cars and gadgets. And and, and that's what most of their consuming their, their spare time with. And, and, you know, they're buying things that will go down in value. These are, are consumer goods will always go down in value. They'll depreciate in value. Whereas the rich spend their time shopping for assets. They shop for properties. They shop for businesses. They shop for shares. They're out there looking maybe what a share in a company that I can buy. They learn how to do this. And they use other people's money to acquire these assets. Now, assets are not just physical things like property. Assets can be intangible assets. They can be a website, an app, a mailing list, a blog, an idea, a book, a podcast, a song, a film script, a play. It could be many, many things. And it does not necessarily take money to create these assets. People are creating assets all the time out of nothing, out of thin air. The person, Martin Lewis, who created his Money Saving Experts website, said he created this out of an idea. He spent a few hundred pounds setting up an, a, a website and sold the company a few years later for millions and millions of pounds to moneysupermarket.com. And he made a fortune along the way from what he earned from that site. And he just created that out of an idea <clears throat> and, and a few hundred pounds. You know, the great singer songwriter Lionel Richie was once asked, where does he find songs? And he just said, songs are in the air. OK, so just remember that. And the best selling author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, very, very famous book. He wrote that assets are things that put money in your pocket and liabilities are things that take money out of your pocket. <clears throat> that may be a simplified uh, explanation, but it, it's, it's true. You know, uh, what, what is an asset? A house or property will generally put money in your pocket, right, through the rents, through the growth in the property. What will a car do? A car will just cost you money. It will just, you're paying out for this car all the time. You might love that car, but it's its draining your money. It's, it's just pulling your money out of your pocket all the time. And it's the same thing with consumer goods and gadgets. You know, as soon as you bought them there, they're probably worth half of what you paid for them. <clears throat> so just remember that. Think about assets. Don't just think about trading your time for money because it's only by earning money from assets that you'll have any passive income. And if you don't have passive income, you'll always have to work actively on your income until you drop. OK, you'll never be able to retire without passive income. Right. So those are four things. That fifth thing is other people's money. Now, I've touched on this already. Right. But 
OPM, other people's money, it's a thing that's been used for centuries. Now, people without money often say that you need your own money to make money or money only goes to money. Now, both of these are, are, are what I would call limiting beliefs. The rich have been using the concept of other people's money for centuries to build huge fortunes, to build multinational corporations. You know, you can't build a multinational corporation unless you attract investors, right? Through the stock market, through private uh, uh, private listings, through hedge funds, through angel investment, through venture capitalists, right? And so they, they've created that with other people's money. You can't do it all yourself. Institutions have been created, great institutions. You know, um, the Scout movement, for instance, is... It's a thing that's been done with other people's money, other people's time, if not directly their money. And, and churches and religious organisations have, have all been created with other people's money. So you've got to free yourself from these limiting beliefs that you need your own money to make money. There are many ways of starting a business, acquiring assets such as property, even if you have none of your own money. Believe me, this is true. Now, I've known this for years. And I've looked at some of these strategies. I've used some of these strategies, but I recently attended a course on buying property with no money down. So I thought, oh, it's the same old thing. It's, it's talking about using joint venture partners, but actually it wasn't. And, and the stuff just blew my mind because I realized how many of these tools and strategies that I've not been using and missing out on over the years. And even though I had money to invest at stages, I, I still could have used these tools to expand my portfolio even faster. So when I when I realized what I've been missing, I thought this is crazy. And in fact, the speaker only five or six years ago, and I've been doing property since the 80s, but only five years earlier, he'd been in a room in a HMO and, and, and completely broke and over £100,000 in debt because he'd made some bad investments. He had none of his own money. He had no money. So he had to use these no money down strategies because he literally had zero money himself to raise money for deposits on properties. Now, a few short years later, he now controls or owns a multi-million pound property portfolio in excess of five million. And he owns an estate agency, a letting agency, and he lives with the woman of his dreams in the house of his dreams that he bought with no money down using the same strategies that he uses to, to create his, his investment income. So I'd say, look, you know, if he can do it, anybody can do it. Now, even if you have your own money, you should learn how to use other people's money and how to acquire assets, because that's what the rich people do, frankly. Now, ironically, the richer they are, the less they seem to have to use their own money. And, and you know, when people approach them for, for ventures, they don't always have to use their own money. And it seems like the more successful they are, the more they can just raise money just by snapping their fingers. You know, they don't put all their money into deals. They don't put all their eggs in one basket. They can just go out there and find the money on on joint venture, on venture capitalists, on, on, on listings such as IPOs. Now, I've seen this time and time again. Look at, I, I keep mentioning Richard Brad because I know a lot about him and I've read his book. Now, he just only has to put his virgin brand to business ventures that are not even his own. They're not even his own idea and, and to make another fortune. He did this in Australia with, uh, I think it was Virgin Blue. He set up a budget airline in Australia and a few years later it was sold on and listed and, and sold to the market. And I think he made 400 million from that. It, it was just his name that was there. Okay, he was, he was there to advise, but he didn't come up with the idea. Someone approached him with the idea and he said, right, let's back it. So he didn't have to put his own money into this. Now, we're not all Richard Branson, right? So, um, but, but just think about that mentality, that mindset. Now, the trainer on the course said, follow success and success will follow. Follow what successful people do and you too will become successful. 
Now, most people think the only way to buy a property is to scrimp and save for years and, and build up a large deposit. And, and the problem with that is that, you know, property prices are going up all the time. So the more you try and save and, and you know, as much as you try and save, the property prices just seem to keep going up. And it can take a long, long time to do that. Now, I, I did save for my first property deposit and it was hard work. Um, but it, it's not the only way you can buy property. Sure, that is one way of buying a property. But now, you know, mortgages are, are even tougher to get. You need larger deposits than you did before. And, and buy-to-let investors generally think in that way. Now you need a 25% deposit to buy a buy-to-let property. And obviously, you know, if even if you're buying properties at 100,000, which is quite cheap, that's 25,000 plus your stamp duties, plus your legal, maybe 30,000 per transaction. So how many of those can you do before you run out of cash? And if you're buying stuff at, say, the 500,000 level, you know, you're going to need, you know, 120,000 to 150,000 per deal. So how many of those can you buy using your own money alone? So you have to get out of that mentality. And there are many strategies for doing this. There are many strategies for getting your money out of the deal and using that money for a further deal. So you need to learn these strategies. You can't just keep going on with your blinkers on and, and just having your own limiting beliefs and thinking, well, that's the way it's always been done. That's the only way it can be done. So what can you do? Now, if you'd like to learn more about these ways of acquiring properties with, with no money down, um, I urge you to take a course and learn how to do it from someone that who went from broke to, to five million pounds in a, in five years. I mean, that's that's not a long time. And you're not saying you can do it overnight, but five years is a good time to, to kind of get into that situation. Um, now, earlier I said that the rich require assets. The rich use leverage. The rich make their money work hard for them instead of just trading their time for money. So this is all tied up in the same thing. Now, you can learn how to acquire assets using the leverage of other people's money so that you can eventually quit the rat race and stop trading your time for money. And this can be done anywhere, but I'm talking about people in the UK for the moment. Um, now, it's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's not something that's going to make you an overnight millionaire. But over a few years, you, you can eventually make them the money that, that you need to be financially free. But the first aim is to enable you to replace your income by making passive income, to replace your monthly income within the first year or six months. Now, you might say, well, how much is that? Okay, my income is 1500 It's 2000 a month. So the idea is to, to get you in a position where you can replace that through through no money deals and through passive income or semi-passive income deals within that first six to 12 months. Now, if you follow the strategies used on this course, you can do this. There's no Other people have done it. If they follow the strategies, there's no way you can't succeed. Now, once you've done this, then you can work on your business full time instead of somebody else's. And then the sky's the limit. Then you can build up. Then you can become a millionaire or multimillionaire or whatever you want to do in, in your life. So if you'd like more information on how to acquire wealth and build wealth and build properties with no money down, email me at charles at charleskelly.net uh, or send me a text message through Facebook or look at my Money Tips uh, daily uh, community Facebook page. Now, if you'd want an opportunity to attend, I've got a free no money down discovery day where you'll learn lots of strategies coming up on the 10th of October. So if you're in the UK or can get to the UK by the 10th of October, just, just contact me and, and let me know. So I'm going to run through those strategies again, those, those differences. One is mindset. The two is that the, 
the, the rich make their money work hard for them. Three is leverage. The rich use leverage. Four is that the rich shop for assets, the poor shop for stuff. Five is the rich use other people's money. The poor think they have to have all of their own money to make money. So those are the five things. As I said, if you'd like more information, my email address is charles at charlesclelly.net. And, you know, also check out my book. You know, a lot of stuff is in there as well on, on these same things. And I'll just give you finally the word of the day, uh, a tenant buyer. What is a tenant buyer? Uh, a tenant buyer is, is somebody that who is a, is a private tenant who's renting a property, but would like the right to buy their own property at some stage in the future. But maybe they're not in, in that situation at the moment. So rather than just keep renting and, and renting for the rest of their life, they, they become what's called a tenant buyer. So the, the landlord will give them a, a tenancy, but the landlord will also give them for a consideration the right to buy that property at some stage in the future. Now, they may not be able to buy it now. Maybe they haven't got the credit uh, history at the moment. Maybe they haven't got the money to do it at the moment. But by, by doing that, they can build up a deposit through the years of the tenancy. And at the, at the end of an agreed period or before that period, they can buy that property. So they can make that property their home. They can improve it. They can feel more secure than they would do in a tenancy that could be ended you know, after a year and then the, the, the owner wants to sell the property. So they can never really feel secure in their own home. But by becoming a tenant buyer, this can all change because suddenly they've got an interest in that property and they want to buy it in the future. So if you're currently a tenant but would like to buy your own home in the future but unable to do so right now, again, drop me a line at charles at charleskelly.net. So thanks for listening. And I hope you found that interesting. There are other uh, blogs and articles and uh, uh, podcasts at my website, moneytipsdaily.com. But for, for the time being, have a great Sunday and have a great weekend, what's left of it. And I will speak to you soon. Thanks for listening. This is Charles Kelly bringing you money tips to help you save, earn, invest, accumulate and enjoy more money. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Money Tips. For more tips and information, visit moneytipsdaily.com. The information given in this podcast is for your entertainment and should not be construed as financial advice. As always, take independent financial advice before making any investment decisions. 